Paul was setting us up for this portion of teaching that we're looking at today. He said, don't let anybody cheat you. And then he said, look, this is the position that you already have in Christ Jesus. And now he goes on to say in verse 16, let no one judge you. Verse 18, let no one cheat you. Verse 20, let no one subject you. And we're going to look at those three points today. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Because of the triumph of Christ, we have come into this place of fellowship with the Lord and we consider the position that we have in Christ Jesus already, the finished work that he had there upon the cross, that nothing more is needed. And so then Paul, if we backtrack one verse, I began in verse 9, we backtrack one verse, he was actually setting us up for the verses that we're going to look at today, verses 16 through 23. For in verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through the philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Paul was setting us up for this portion of teaching that we're looking at today. He said, don't let anybody cheat you. And then he said, look, this is the position that you already have in Christ Jesus. And now he goes on to say in verse 16, let no one judge you. Verse 18, let no one cheat you. Verse 20, let no one subject you. And we're going to look at those three points today. Now, we know that as the Lord moved upon Paul to write this letter to the church of Colossae, it was in response to Epaphras coming to Paul and giving a report. Hey, this is what's going on in in the churches of Colossae, the church there. And chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, he declared to us your love in the spirit. So, Epaphras declared the love of the church concerning Paul. And so he came to Paul and said, hey, they love you, Paul. They're praying for you. And he must have said something else because Paul generated this letter. And perhaps Epaphras said, but there's some issues going on there in the church. Some Judaizers have showed up. They started teaching just like they've done in almost every other church that you have planted They've been teaching that unless you're circumcised and you keep the Mosaic law, that you're not really a Christian. And also the Gnostics have showed up and they're teaching a 
deeper mysticism needed to know the true knowledge of Christ or true salvation. And so there's some issues, Paul, that need to be dealt with. And Paul wrote this letter and he reminded them of the position that they already have in Christ Jesus as believers in Jesus Christ. The position that we have today also that no one would cheat us, that no one would subject us, that no one would judge us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet we find people attempting to cheat and judge and subject in the church all the time. It's happening all the time. And so we're going to look at these words. And I just want to read through the context and open us up in prayer. And it tells us in verse 16, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from which all the body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have the appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but of no value, are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word, Lord. Let it speak to our hearts today, that we would test the things that we see in this world and in church and religion, Lord, that we would know where we stand as believers in Jesus Christ. Also, Lord, that no one would cheat us, no one would judge us, no one would subject us, because we understand, Lord, that all that we need has been found in you and the work that you have already done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The shadow of things to come. Uh, let no one judge you, verses 16 and 17. These things were a shadow of things to come. He says, let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival, a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are shadows of things to come. And Paul's mentioning the judging over the food, the drink, the festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths. It fits perfectly with the teaching of uh, the Judaizers who were saying that you had to keep the Mosaic law. You had to be circumcised to no true salvation. In fact, they said it this way in Acts 15, 1 and 2. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, that means that they had a blowout, knockdown fight over this. They determined, the church determined, to send Paul and Barnabas and certain others that they should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And they, they went down to Jerusalem. We know in Acts 15, it's called the uh, Jerusalem Council, that they went with this question. Look, 
is this legit or not? Do we have to be circumcised? Do the Gentiles have to keep the customs of Moses to know true salvation? And the elders of Jerusalem determined that they did not. Even though they determined they did not, they wrote letters saying they did not have to do these things. It didn't stop the Judaizers from presenting their twist on the gospel of Jesus Christ and to try to win followers after themselves. And this was a constant battle that Paul would fight against. He fought against it when he was writing to the churches of Galatia. In Galatians 5, 2 through 4, he says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who has become circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. And the church said, you don't have to do these things. You Gentiles who become saved and believe in Jesus Christ, you are saved because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But the Judaizers were teaching, no, you have to do this. You got to do the works. Come on. Look, it's look at the Bible. You know, look how big it is today. Two thirds of it is the Old Testament. Why wouldn't we want to follow what was written in the Old Testament? And then today you have the other extreme where you have believers in the church who take no attention to the Old Testament. In fact, they believe that it's not even valuable or useful to the church. But Paul said these are a shadow of things to come. And so I say it this way, that the Old Testament has its value because all these rules, all these regulations, all the requirements that God laid down for his people, uh, they were pointing to Jesus Christ. He is the substance of all these things. So they have value to us. And what I was going to say, there's a segment of the church today that they only pay attention to the New Testament without ever looking at the Old Testament, but how can they properly understand the sacrifice of Jesus and the importance of that sacrifice without knowing the truths that are found for us in the Old Testament? But those truths that are written in the Old Testament are not to be the works of the flesh as it was for them. Paul said in Galatians again that the law was a tutor to point us to Christ, to bring us to Christ, to show us of our inability to keep the law. And so it was Jesus who has put off the body of, of the sins of the flesh by paying the price of our sins on the cross, doing something that we could never do. And it can't be found through the various rituals of regarding food or drink or festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. It won't be found in that at all, but the Judaizers were teaching it. And I believe the spirit of the Judaizers are alive and well in churches today. Have you ever battled with anyone about the right day to worship? You know, it's got to be on the Sabbath. We have to worship on the Sabbath. Some would call them a Seventh-day Adventists who work only worship on the Sabbath in that sense, but also they're very strict. If they're strict, they're vegetarians, so there's certain foods that you can eat and you cannot eat, and they get very legalistic with their rights and their religions. And yet, these things were to point to Christ. Christ is the substance of these things. 
years ago, from 1990 to 1992, I was a youth pastor at Zion Second Baptist Church. Uh, the church that I was part of then doesn't exist now. It has a new name, new pastor, a new everything. Anyways, but back in the day, we were there, and it was Baptist church, and they expected coat and tie on Sundays. And while I was there, the senior pastor resigned, took another church, and so they were without a pastor for a period of about eight months. And I filled the pulpit Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, I believe. And then on Wednesdays, I had the deacons do the teachings because I was a youth pastor. I said, you can't have me, you know, filling the pulpit Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and not working with the youth. So Wednesdays, I'm working with my youth. I'm telling you all this because there was one particular Sunday in the summer, we had a church picnic. It was right after church. And, uh, you know, Lily and I spent a lot of time planning with other people the picnic. And in town in Zion, there was, uh, uh, used to be, I guess, Cancer Treatment Center of America tore down this neat old house that was called Emanuelson Inn. It's gone. They're taking like the whole town over down there now. It's going to be just Zion Hospital, the whole town, I think, one day. But they tore down this like 100-year-old house that they had converted into a neat bed and breakfast that also had a horse and carriage attached to it, and you could do buggy rides and stuff. So for our church picnic, I had that horse and carriage showing up, and we were going to do buggy rides with families and had it all planned out. So church was over. I got done preaching, went back in, changed into shorts and a collared button-down shirt. So it was kind of the casual-looking good John Pinnell, uh, not shorts and a T-shirt that you might see me in at one of our church picnics here. But on that particular Sunday, there was a guy who held a doctorate in ministry who was there. And when he saw me walk out in the shorts, he said, you're dressed like this after preaching like that? And I'm like, what? It's a picnic. So in his attitude, you do the picnic in the shirt and tie, keep your sport coat on the whole time, even though it's summer and it's 100 degrees out. Who cares? You're representing Christ. And it was just an example of legalese that the church can get into sometimes. And Paul's saying, don't let people subject you. The substance, verse 17, the second half of that, the substance is Christ. So whether we're talking about these rituals regarding food, drink, festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths, these are all shadows of things to come. The substance is Christ. And I'm going to run you through Leviticus 23. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. I'm just going to highlight what is found in that chapter is eight feasts, as it says in verse 2, Leviticus 23, speak to the children of Israel, say to them, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim, shall be a holy convocation. These are my feasts. So this is God speaking to Israel through Moses, saying, these are my feasts, and you're to keep them and I'm going to run through quickly the eight feasts and how Christ has fulfilled each of these or shall fulfill uh, these feasts. But Christ is the fulfillment. The substance is Christ. He begins with the Sabbath. And I know we wouldn't uh, determine that as a feast, but God said, these are my feast. Number one, verse three, the Sabbath. Six days you shall 
work or six days work shall be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work in it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So the Sabbath was to be a day of rest and a day of worship for the people of Israel. It was kept on a Saturday. And yet today we find that our rest is in Christ Jesus alone. Jesus is the one who said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The second one found in verse 5, on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. The Passover was a celebration of the time that God had passed over when the children of Israel was there in Egypt and he brought judgment against all the firstborn of Egypt by the believers marking and sacrificing. Really, it was a not a sacrifice like taking it and burning it on the altar sacrifice, but they killed the lamb. They had communion by eating that lamb, but they took the blood of the lamb and they painted it over the doorpost and lintel of their homes. And when the death angel came through that night through Egypt, if he saw the blood, he would pass over that house. And Christ is our Passover. He himself said, and we'll see it in two ways in a moment, so hold on with me. First of all, we see it in John 5.24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And so in a sense, Christ, our Passover, he's the one that has called us to pass from death into life. And in the next point, we'll see Christ being our Passover again. But I tied it also with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which, by the way, was tied with the Feast of Passover. On the same day of the 15th month, the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. That's in verse 6 of Leviticus 23. So during Passover, it began the very same day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a time that Leaven was removed from the house. They still do this to this day over in Israel, probably in the Orthodox communities uh, here in the United States, throughout the world, wherever Jews have found themselves to be living. But in Israel, they actually have services that will come in and, and clean your house for you to make sure that there's not a hint of leaven that has been accidentally dropped when you were making some bread earlier in the year. And, you know, one of those little small little beads of leaven dropped out of your hand and fell on the floor and you've been hiding in the nooks and crevices of the house and the father at one point will take a it's probably his only job in this whole process he'll take a, a feather and rub it on the uh, the countertop of the home and pronounce the home as clean of leaven that's his duty you know it's the white glove test it's clean and so leaven became representative of a type of sin that festers in our body. So the unleavened bread, this part of that ceremony, Paul said, and, and it ties to Passover and leaven. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And so Paul tying together both of these feasts in one verse in 1 Corinthians 
5.7, but tying Christ as the fulfillment of both of these as well. Verse 10, the feast of first fruits. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I shall give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a chief of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And so the first fruits was a thanksgiving offering that was brought to the Lord. It was the beginning of the harvest season. They would bring uh, a sampling of this harvest as a thank you offering to the Lord. And now Christ has become our first fruits according to 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ has risen from the dead, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is the first fruits. He's the substance of these things. The Feast of Weeks, Leviticus 23, 15, and 16. And you shall count for yourself from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave, so the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and you shall have a new grain offering to the Lord. And so for them, it was a celebration of the year's harvest. They had their first fruits, but now that's fall harvest time, basically. And now they're having that fall harvest celebration. It's the time of year that we're living in now. And in fact, these feast days, the fall harvest, are going to be happening in September and October for the Jewish holiday. But here we find that it's tied in the New Testament to the day of Pentecost, there in Acts chapter 2, the same 50-day celebration, 50 days later from the first fruits, we find now the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost has fully come. Verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this was a promise of Jesus saying that if, if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit can't come, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, then came the promised Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and that promise of the Holy Spirit to us to this day as believers in Jesus Christ. The Feast of Trumpets, Leviticus 23:24. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of the blowing of the trumpets, a holy convocation. And so the Feast of Trumpets was a new moon festival that marked the beginning of a civil year for the Jewish people, and they would blow the trumpets. And I think this is still a future uh, fulfillment for us because the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with him. One day we're going to hear a trumpet blast as well, and it's not going to mark the beginning of the new year like January 1st does for us. It's going to be marking the beginning of a whole new life in Christ Jesus that has been promised to us. We are alive forever according to the word. Right now we are alive forever. Our spirits will remain, but we're going to step into a whole new form of life that 
When Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven, he said, I saw things that words can't even describe. Uh, I think we were talking a little bit about that at men's breakfast. There are things that are undescribable, that the Bible tries to put a description around it for us, but all I can say is it's going to be amazing. But Christ, he's part of that. My brothers and sisters, it is Christ who is our substance. Therefore, may we guard ourselves against all forms of self-imposed religion in order that we may not be judged or cheated or subjected through the philosophy or empty deceit of this world, the traditions of men according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word, Lord. And I pray that you would bless the teaching of your word to our souls, that we would learn to walk in faith and to live in Christ, knowing that Christ Jesus is our substance. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.